Hey, hey, welcome to LDS Transitions. So, some someone dear to me, I've never met this person, but someone dear to me, um, was, gave a presentation on, or at the Billings TED, TEDx talk, um, I'm just finding it right now. And I just listened to it. Um, so this is a TEDx talk. So if you search on TEDx Billings for Billings, Montana, and if you look for Anthony Miller, Thriving and Building Community After a Faith Crisis, I highly recommend anything that Anthony says or does. I'm. <laughs> I'm sure uh, he would say otherwise, right? Um, he is a kind, sincere man. Uh, you know, um, I don't want to be triggering for those that are not Christian, but he, to me, he is an ideal Christian. His kindness, being able to sit with you, even if it's over the Internet, and give responses of, listening, of giving advice, of whatnot. Um, I highly recommend anything that, you know, he's been a part of, that he's presented at. He is a kind soul. Um, he is genuine in every part of the, in every part or way. Uh, he is just a kind, kind person. Um, so in listening to it, he had his faith transition in 2016, and I don't know how it coincided with mine, but he was a good support for me, um, and just ask you to go listen to him. I, I feel very small in my words and what I share compared to Anthony. He is not only very articulate, but he just has such a huge heart. Um, his journey, his earnestness in trying to reconcile truths, in trying to make the church work, in trying to navigate, you know, post-Mormonism and building community as far as you know, helping other people that have gone or going through the same thing that he has gone through or is going through. Um, I don't know where his wife is, but I, if I remember right, she's a believing member. Um, she seems, you know, fantastic as well. And it, it doesn't matter beliefs. What matters is being able to feel safe in whatever beliefs you have. Um, and he helped facilitate that and has for so many. Just, I can't say anything good enough. You know, it, everybody has their flaws, right? So I'm not trying to lift him on a pedestal, but I think he's a good go to to someone to listen to 
someone to follow um, on Facebook or whatever media he has. I believe he's done um, at least one or two episodes of Mormon Stories as far as personal interview, and then I think he was on a panel or whatnot. Um, Just, I can't recommend him enough just because he has such a tender heart, so much kindness. Um, He's a safe place. I have no hesitations in recommending him to anybody, Um, you know, but uh, just a kind soul. And so just big shout out to Anthony. Um, You know, he's... He's touched my heart. Um, I've tried to reach people at different phases of my faith journey. And, you know, I <laughs> um, I think some of it comes from, you know, I, I was raised in this narrative of the church being true. And, and I just had such a surety of knowledge for it. You know, I, when I was in elementary school, you know, a kid reached out his hand and said, I'll bet you, you know, and I, I don't remember what it was about, but I, he probably still remembers this, but I slapped him hard, and I said, Mormons don't bet, and I, I like, either ran or walked away or something, you know, I was just mad. You know, Mormonism was everything to me, everything, and it was so literal in so many ways. I'm not saying I was the ideal Mormon I thought I was, you know, I didn't think I was perfect by any means, but, you know, I took it very seriously, and then to come to this painful realization that my whole world, you know, has been not a make-believe, but not what it was, not what I presumed it was, where we have living prophets that know God, know God. They've been in the room with them. They've given him hugs. They've had him wash their feet. They have touched the nail marks in his hands and in his feet. You know, I, when I was young, we did a production of, not a production, but it was kind of a fireside of, um, of like Christ being judged like if he was judged in a courtroom, and I I think it's been done a few times, but, you know, I played the role of Bruce R. McConkie in his final testimony um, that he gave of, you know, I, sh- I won't know, or I won't know any better than I know now that, you know, that Jesus is the Christ for when he passes and he sees him um, after this life, and you know, and I'm like, oh, wow, you know, that's kind of a confirmation that he's seen God, he knows God of a surety, you know. My patriarchal blessing talked about me having a sure knowledge. To me, that's, I'm going to see God. I need to prepare myself to have a sure knowledge. That means, you know, I had a neighbor talk about you're such a good boy, you know, I I totally see you being a general authority when you're older, you're such a good boy, you know, and just, great guy, great guy, great neighbor, 
But these things that was a pathway of, you know, my upbringing just filled me with, you know, such confidence that it was true. But it was all based off of the narrative that the church presented. It didn't present the, everything for me to weigh things out for myself. You know, it's kind of interesting because, you know, the church emphasizes the narrative of, you know, you need to find these things out for your, yourself. You have your agency. You need to weigh things out. You need to wrestle with God, you know. Um, but that wrestle has no additional information to it other than the narrative the church puts out. And so you are presuming that these prophets know God. Face to face, they've spoken with God. He washed their feet. They have their second anointing. They they see. And so like when, when you uh, have the opportunity, like on my mission, I met President Hinckley, you know, shook his hand as all of us missionaries. He didn't even look me in the face. It was just like one handshake after another. And I'm like, oh, yeah, great to see you. You know, I'm like, oh, maybe he must have known that, you know, I I'd had some bad thoughts or, you know, that I wasn't as diligent as I should be. I don't remember, you know, but, but I almost felt like, oh, does he know that I'm you know, still trying to be a better missionary per se, you know, and, you know, maybe I'm not in tune enough or, you know, he senses, you know, maybe that I'm not spiritual enough. Um, and so he doesn't take time and look at me in the eyes and say, hey, Elder, how are you? You know, it was, you know, so you put these guilts and this shame and everything on you and these presumptions because they know they know God. They can read the thoughts of your mind, you know. I had a mission president that that got up and, you know, grandstanded and I know some of you are not worthy and I need to talk to you and you know, I was just shaking in my boots. You know, I was not having the mission life that I hoped for. I thought I'd be Alma the younger type thing and I had a companion that you know, it was just lazy, and um, being a missionary with a lazy companion's hard, and, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, my mission president cast devils out of me, gave me a blessing and cast devils out of me and stuff, and, you know, I, I'm like, oh, wow, I'm possessed with the devil, you know, and he cast it out, and wow, you know, I'm on pins and needles here. I, I really need to get on the ball. Um, these are very, very painful and hurtful narratives when you assume so much is true and then you realize decades later that it's built on a narrative of of a criminal someone that has criminalistic behavior and and where everything's glossed over and whitewashed and um you know we had all of our answers to the narrative and those that you know would present otherwise they're anti and they have a dark presence about them and 
they're sinning, you know, and uh, they don't have the Spirit with them. So it's such a huge contrast. And to be in a mixed-faith marriage is just awful. Just awful. Uh, It's not good for my wife. It's not good for me. It's not good for my kids because they're going to see issues as far as, huh, why isn't Dad explaining things when we have scripture time? Or, you know, am I going to baptize one of my children when they become eight? I don't want to. I don't want to ever be in those white gowns again. I don't ever want to officiate. I don't ever want to, in an ordinance, um, there's so much that's just so triggering that it's just like these huge alarm bells of, this isn't true, but my wife is so torn, and it's like, so what do I do? Do I just be rude and cruel and and just yell and scream and say, hey, no, the church is false, it's false, it's false, and um, if you don't let me, you know, not go to church or whatnot, I'm, I'm out of here and abandon my wife and kids? Or do I suck it up and be like, you know, pretend like I'm a nuanced member? Or do I try to do everything that I want to so that I keep the peace at home and keep, you know, put my wife under false pretense that, yeah, I believe. I can't do that one. I can't do the false pretense of I believe. It's just, there's no integrity. There's no integrity in doing that. And I have to find a sense of balance and integrity for me. I have to be in a space that's safe that I can work in. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that get divorced, and I I don't want it, but I also see it on the horizon at some point. Um, you know, it, it's scary. But uh, I didn't mean to take up a lot of time. I just wanted to reference Anthony and highly recommend him, and I really hope that you, if you haven't listened to him, that you take time. Um, he gives a powerful presentation from the heart. And, you know, if you need community, it's there. If you're a member of the church and you are like, um, yeah, I don't get you, dude. You know, you just need a whatever, whatever you say. You know, that's not, it's not my business to assume what's being said by a member. But listen to Anthony and his perspective. Not about the belief but about the journey and how much there's out there and the the narrative that the church often poses as far as, you know, oh, they're anti, they're evil, they're following Satan and stuff. I highly ask, tenderly ask, that you reconsider that approach, that you listen to his heart, that you consider, you know... What would Christ do? What, you know, it, does God have room for him at his table? Does God have Anthony for him, room for him at his table? Does God have room for me at his table? And if God has room for us at his table, 
is it okay for you to have us have room at the table? Can we sit next to you? Even though we have differing beliefs, can we feel a sense of community? Can we feel a sense of of love? If this is truly God's church, are the tent stakes being expanded? Or are ramparts and ditches and, you know, are we going to war? Or are we ha- sitting down to supper? Are we having Christmases together and eating dinner as as enemies? I don't think we're enemies, but, you know, you think of World War II stories where it's Christmas and and the Germans and whatever other opposing military, you know, they came together and they they had Christmas together, they ate meals together and um they went back to war, you know, they you know, our beliefs aren't gonna change, but can we sup together? But the narrative that the current church leaders give of lazy learners, of stay in the boat, of the internet is, you know, is all evil and don't trust anything on the internet and stuff. And it's like, well, of course, it's a, it's the information highway. You can't trust information from anybody. Um, but you can get a sense of truths with enough research where you can get a good idea as far as okay have there been peer reviews where's the historical documents who supports this what's their angle um it's not just wheat and tares okay and um sometimes maybe it's the wheat that needs to be burned and I'm not I'm not talking about that seriously as far as I'm talking completely metaphorically um and that's probably a bad metaphor to use but uh my my thought process with that is sometimes it's the believer that needs to give a lot more room in their heart than the non-believer was Christ always with the believers? Was he with the with the Sadducees and the Pharisees? Or was he out amongst the marginalized? Um, thoughts to consider. But be good. Take care. Be kind. Um, there's not really a way that I've given for you to reach out to me. Uh, and that's fine. You don't need to. Um, and so all I ask is that you pay it forward wherever you're at, whether if you're a non-member, never heard of Mormons, if you are a Mormon, if you are Jehovah Witness, whatever, if you are a believing member, you know, um, take time and, and you know, listen, listen to your heart, inspect and compare that to what 
you feel Didi would do, and and if it if Didi is leading to a binary response of good, everything's good, or everything's evil, I highly ask that you open your heart to to more reflective thought on that. There is so much good, so so much good. Doesn't mean that there's not bad, that there's not evil people out there with evil intents for whatever reason. Um, but uh, I've rambled. I've gone 15 minutes over. But I hope you know that it's sincere, it's kind, and and hopefully there's some truth in it, and hopefully it it's uplifting to someone. If you are in a transition of some sort, or you're questioning, it's not about where you end up, like Anthony says. It's about that you have a support. A support to have people listen. Not, you know, and to be, and to sit with you. And I think that's what Christ would do, or God would do would be to sit with you and to calm your soul and to speak to you and let let you know your path or let you know you're safe and sharing where you're at. And I think that's beautiful. All right. Take care, y'all.